0: Father, we're thankful for the Binder family. We're thankful for what you have done in their lives. Lord, we're thankful for the message that they shared with us last week. Lord, we are so thankful for restoration in their family. Lord, we're thankful that you are meeting their needs. Lord, I just pray for the offering that is taken today for the Binders. Lord, that you would multiply it. You would strengthen their faith. Lord, and uh, bless us as we give to them. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning everybody. Good morning. Very good. All right, a couple more announcements here. Uh, there will not be a fellowship meal after the service, uh, but you're still welcome to stay around, fellowship, talk to each other. I think they're Probably be something out in the Goody Center, Snack Center, I'm sure. Um, let's see. Announcement here that we do have, just a reminder that we have nursery available for the little ones, classes for kids from preschool through seventh grade now uh, during the service after worship. Uh, there will be a bridal shower for Faith Weber after the service today. There will be a meal provided for those attending that. There are still some remaining work projects here at TCC that we need to do. Uh, the work lists will be in the Welcome Center and that desk out in front right by the doors. You can check those out if you're willing to give of your time and to help some of the things that we still have to finish around the building. Uh, let's see. Uh, we have the regular scheduled events on Wednesday. Uh, we have Touchpoint with Pastor Stephen Joyce and of course at 6pm we have the youth group Uh, with the binders, it's wonderful, we have the kids' activities, we have men's group, all that good stuff. Uh, So if you're interested in that or know someone who's interested in that, please come. And one upcoming event here is that on June 3rd, Sari Rock is graduating from Bemidji High School and so you are uh, invited to her open house on Saturday at June 3rd from 5 to 8 at the Bush residence and the addresses there. On the screen all right so this morning I was uh, was trying to think about decide what I want to speak about this morning and the thing uh, I've been reading through the book of Exodus I don't know if you've noticed lately some of my uh, morning talks have been about the book of Exodus and I've been reading that recently And the story I came across most recently that sort of struck me I thought I'd talk about today Uh, the story starts with Moses going up to the mountain and he's communing with God. And what he's uh, finding out from God, what God is teaching him is he wants to show him how they're going to bring his presence in and amongst his people. And they're going to build this structure called the tabernacle. And this tra- tabernacle is this, uh, this brilliant, uh, beautiful picture of coming into God's presence, um, communing with him and being in the midst of the people while still being um, protected, right? Because God's Presence, his power is so powerful that if uh, he was just to be in their midst, he would just utterly obliterate them. So they need to create this wonderful structure to uh, create this sense of he's still, he's there with them, but yet he's uh, protected by these, these barriers and these things like this. It's very, go ahead and read it, it's beautiful. Um, but the idea is that God's presence is going to rest in this tent, but then at times it's going to pick up and move and the people will be able to pick up this structure and follow him, which is part of the beauty of this structure is that it's movable, it's flexible, it allows them to follow God's movements and his presence. Now while Moses is getting this information, he's getting this download, getting the plans for the structure, the people are busy doing something else and perhaps we know this story. Um, the people uh, build their own structure, they take this gold, they have gold with them and they melt it down and they create this uh, the golden calf. Perhaps we're familiar with the story. They create this golden calf and they start worshiping it as this big idol and they throw this grand party. Now, oftentimes we read this story and to be honest, I was always rather confused, uh, especially as a child about this story, right? These people, they've just been, they've seen these big miracles of the Lord. They saw the Red Sea split, right? They saw the presence of God fall down on the mountain. Fire and you know fire and lightning and a great brand voice saying I am your God right? Why would they bother to build this dinky little gold calf and say well now this this is our God now? Um, and on further study, what I've I've found is 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 this is that in ancient societies people built these idol structures not because they thought they were building gods that would be rather stupid right you recognize you're building something with your hands what they thought they were doing is they were creating images of what their gods looked like this was a very familiar way of worshiping in their culture you have a god well you have to build a, a you have to put a face to that god in some way you have to create it around an image that's familiar to you and in their culture a cow would be a familiar image of wealth prosperity goodness And so in their own way, they were trying to worship their God. And Aaron, the one who builds the calf, he comes up and says, this is the God who took you out of Egypt. Yes, the one who split the Red Sea. Yes, the one who came down. This is what he looks like. He looks like this this calf. (laughs) And they throw this grand party. And this is something that God also wanted to do. He says in his grand speech about what he wants his people to do, he wants to throw these great feasts. He wants to have these grand celebrations of his goodness and his provision to them. And so when you see it that way, you see that they are attempting to create their society uh, around what they are familiar with. These are the things that they would, have, they would have done back in Egypt, right? Create these images. They would have thrown these lavish parties. Uh, the problem is, is that it's on their terms, isn't it? And not on God's terms. The thing about idol statues is. I think the, the real reason that God doesn't desire them, the real reason that God is so uh, fed up with our need to put an image to his face is that it makes it so that we are in control of what he looks like, what his character is, and where he is in the world. The thing about idol statues is you get to put them where you want to put them, don't you? You get to say, this is where the God has to show up. This is where he has to be. If we, if he's going to be in our presence, we're going to say where it's going to be and how it's going to be. And the thing about the, an idol statue is you get to say, well, there's the God. He has to be there. And then you get to walk away, don't you? <laughs> they get to walk away. They get to have their lavish party. And they get to go wild uh, in this bizarre uh, need to celebrate and to indulge, right? Uh, and you get to do that outside of where the God is. And so, when God looks upon this, he's like, that's not what I wanted. That's not my desire. My desire is to be in relationship with my people. My desire is to lead them and to guide them. Um, Because when you are in control of where I show up, you find that uh, what happens is you end up destroying yourselves. Uh, The thing about this party, if you read more about it, um, you find that it was such a uh, severe, Desire to uh, meet the lusts of the flesh, you might say, that Moses, when he came down, and he, came, he couldn't just break up the party and say, all right, guys, let's settle down. He, he had to arm himself. These people were violent. <laughs> These, it, was such a, it was such a violent party. And you can imagine that it wasn't just uh, a fun party to be around. You can imagine it was probably rather frightening, especially if you were a child or uh, a young woman, perhaps. This would be a rather frightening time to be in this camp. This is all to say um, in thinking about our giving this morning, I was, I was thinking about this story and thinking about the way we treat church sometimes, and I don't know if we do that so much here, but as a child, I maybe thought about it this way, that God is a place that we created, right? We create this building, and this is where God lives, right? We get to set up our place, and this is kind of the images that we think about, think about God, and maybe we think about images like church. We think about images like Standing here and worshiping, and that's what God's like, and then I get to leave, right? I drop my money in the box in the back, I put my gold somewhere, and then that's all that God wants, right? And I think God's plan is a little more uh, intimate than that, isn't it? He wants to come in our midst. He wants to interrupt our lavish, wild, partying nature, right? And he wants to say, there's something more to life than just meeting our immediate needs. There's something deep inside us that we need in relationship with Him. So this morning, as we're here together, we just remember we're not here because God exists here. We're, God is here this morning because we showed up. <laughs> God is here because He came with each and every one of us because we are His body. We are the part of Him that He brew. We uh, that we take with us when we leave this building, aren't we? So. Remember that, as you're putting your money in the back, we're supporting a place for us to meet, for us to gather, for us to throw the real party, right? Out in the world, they're losing themselves, aren't they? In what seems what they think is the real party, but is, is really just a shallow and uh, self-destructive version of what we have here together, don't we? In finding truth in Jesus, in finding our souls uplifted, finding the freedom of knowing him together, right? So, Father, we lift up our giving this morning, we lift up our remembrance of why we come here. We come here to fellowship together, to celebrate who you are, and then to go out encouraged, go out knowing that we bring your presence with us, that we are the church, we are your temple, we are the image. It's not something we created outside of ourselves and then we get to leave, you made us as the image of yourself to walk on this earth and to show the world what it means to be filled with joy to be filled with your provision and goodness so father we thank you for who you are we thank you for what you're doing amongst us amen all right we're going to welcome up jeff give him a round of applause we (laughs) prayed for him earlier so jesus is with him yes
2: That is right. (laughs) Uh, Good morning and thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, Yes, my name is Jeff Grover. I am Josh Grover's dad. Um, And my grandkids and my daughter and all that, I love it. Um, Also, last week I knew that Josh put a little caveat. I don't know if you remember it, but he was saying you know, if I meet you, and the next time I meet you, I don't remember your name, he comes by that righteously, <laughs> because I'm the same way. Yeah, I have to meet somebody five, six, or seven times before it gets down in there. So, you know, we've been here since last July. We moved in from Fargo. And uh, so, and it's been a pleasure to meet Johnny, over, or Jimmy, where, yeah, Jimmy, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Never mind. (laughs) Went over his head, but that's okay. Um, This morning, we're going to be taking a look at Hebrews chapter 11. And I've never used electronic things to uh, preach before, so this ought to be interesting. See, it's doing it like I was afraid it was going to do it. Where did it go? Okay, well, see. I notice that uh, guys, you know, they use their phones up here, you know, to do the things. And uh, I, I look at my phone and I go. <laughs> so then I put it on my tablet, and Josh set this up for me. And I can't find it again. Where did it go? Oh well, <clears throat> um, yeah, Josh. If you're not busy. Start paper pencil. Yeah, yeah. And, and however, however, I did back it up. <laughs> you know, that's that's about my extent of uh, doing things like that. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. Uh, stick your finger in that spot because we'll be coming back for a quick trip. But guys, first I got a question for you. How many of you have ever pushed the limits of a ladder? (laughs) Guys? Okay, I see, yeah, I see a few hands out there. So it's like, this bothers me so much. It's like you get all done painting your house and then you step back and you look at it and you're looking at the end of the house, you know where it peaks up like this, the highest point. And you look up there, and you're oh, that looks good, but, yeah, really good, it, uh-oh. And you find the one spot that you missed, and it's way up there, way up there. And so you, know, you kind of say, okay, honey, I'll get the ladder, I'll do it. And your wife goes, you be careful. You shouldn't be up there on that ladder, particularly that high. And we go, ah, not a problem. Not a problem in the world, I can do this. So she goes in the house. We climb up the ladder. And we have paintbrush in our hand. And we get to about the fourth rung. And we go and go, "Uh uh-oh. I'm a foot and a half too short. And I'm on the fourth rung. So I go up to the third rung. Now I'm about this far away. Now you know, you never go on the top rung. That's death, right? The death ladder right there. So you... uh, go up one final rung. And all of a sudden, that ladder moves about this far away from the wall. You guys ever do that? It moves out from the wall, and you instantly go, (laughs) and you're praying to God, and you're saying, Lord, I know this was stupid, but I'm here. Get me down. And so you back down one rung. Okay, thank you, Lord, You back down another rung. You go, all right, all right. And then you back down another one, and now I feel safe. And you get down to the bottom of the thing. By now, your paintbrush is in the mud. And you look up and you say, you know, I think that spot looks pretty good right there. (laughs) Kind of adds adds a little contrast, right? (laughs) Well, by way of, of a subtle introduction, Judy and I been married 49 years this year and she is an actual mk missionary kid grew up in central africa so she has lots of stories to tell and her dad had lots of stories to tell me and uh so it was an interesting place i myself am from seattle and uh how i got here you know i had god i don't know it had to be god But in Seattle, if you know anything about Seattle, it has Puget Sound that runs by it. It's right on the shores of Puget Sound. Lovely, beautiful place. And on Puget Sound, the largest island is Woodby Island. And that's where everybody goes to have their their, uh, cabins and it's like the lakes up here. Folks go to get their, their cabins and build them in all kinds of strange places and hopefully on the water. Well, my family knew a family whose name was the Browns, okay? And they had two sons, and they were really rowdy, okay? And, and we would, once a summer, go up there and spend a weekend with the Browns. And in order to get to their place, you got off the ferry, which was always a thrill to ride the ferry. Ferry, And you got off the ferry, you went up a little ways, and you curled to the right, and you were out in the weeds and out in the in the trees and everything, and then you came to the road that went down to the beach. And getting down to the beach was carved out of the side of a sandstone, sandy cliff. And as you went down this road, we all slid over to the far side, like, you know, know, because you're going like this, and Dad's got his head out the window like this, and we're all... And then you turn the switch back and go this way, and we'd all shift to the other side of the car. And dad's got his head out the window. So it was kind of an interesting way to get there. And I was kind of like the run of the litter at that time. I was probably fifth, sixth grade, something like that. Interesting thing about Seattle also, or the Northwest, they have this stuff called Scotch Broom. Any of you know what scotch broom is? Okay, didn't think so. Scotch broom is a pollinator the likes of which you would not believe. You can drive by scotch broom and you can see clouds of pollen drifting off of the brush. And it stands, I don't know, about yay high and the greenery only goes down about this high. And so you can crawl underneath it, and if it's real thick, you can go back in there, and when I was growing up, we used to make little tunnels back in there. We had, we would pretend we were playing house or something, and we had a living room over here and a bedroom over here, over here was the kitchen, and we just, it was a blast, or it would be a fort, you know, great for making forts. So, going down, getting on the beach, getting to the cabin, not a problem. And towards evening, my brother and the brown boys decided that we were going to go for a little hike. And they wanted to leave me behind because I was the runt. <laughs> I, was, I was a kid that couldn't keep up, right, because I was little. And so they went up, and they're going up across this, what I can only describe as a goat trail, right, on the side of this cliff. And this, of course, is something you never tell your mother about. Right? You never, ever tell mom the stupid th- things you did as a junior high person. You just, it would curl their hair. Years later, <laughs> when my mom was in the nursing home, I told her about it. The only thing she could do is say, you kids. <sighs> so, we're all going up this goat trail and there's a bunch of scotch broom on this cliff. And Scotch Broom has a taproot that runs like crazy, so you can't pull it out. You get, it takes a tractor and pulls stuff out. And it's grown into cracks into this cliff. So up we go, we're going up here, up here, and then finally we get to this Scotch broom patch. And it goes down like that, down the, the cliff. You know, and there was a tunnel in it. And the older kids decided they were gonna slide down this tunnel. And so they slid down the tunnel, all covered by scotch broom. It's like those movies, you know, where they shoot people down the water. Well, this is what we did on the seat of our pants, or they did on the seat of their pants. And they started going down this thing, and they would land at the bottom and go, not the bottom, but they would, at the bottom of the tunnel, there was a little place where you could put your feet. And it was still like 150 feet down, but that's where you could put your feet. And then they would crawl up the outside using the scotch broom. To do it, and uh, I wasn't about to do it. And of course, they said the I dare you words that we all use, so I went, <laughs> okay, all right, I'll do that. So I start down the tunnel, and I'm sliding faster and faster, and I'm getting, oh, this is just, just, and I hit the bottom, boom, right on this little tiny shelf that was no bigger than that. And I got to that little shelf, and I looked down, and it was about 150 feet, giant boulders down there, and I froze. I mean, I went <clears throat> like that. And I couldn't move, I couldn't talk. The only thing I could do was sit there and shake and cry. And of course, junior high kids, as you know, are among the meanest little cotton pickers you've ever seen in your life, particularly if you've ever worked with them. They're uh, Very interesting, and I'm froze there, solid. And they're all making fun of me. But the problem was the sun was going down, and I was stuck on the side of that hill. And they were laughing until finally they figured out that I was in serious trouble. And so my brother Gary, I'll never forget this, starts trying to convince me Turn around and face the hill and don't look down. Of course, I'm like this. You stop, don't look down, stop your crying. Turn around and face the hill. I can't, it's getting too small. Because you could feel the sand from beneath my feet just kind of falling away. So I knew this was not good. And he goes, no, turn around and come up the outside. You saw us do it. I, mean, I can't do that. It's gonna pull up. No, it's not. You'll be okay. and so, okay, I was not about to go up the outside of that little bunch of scotch broom, so I turned around, shakily, and I went up the tunnel because at least I had something to grab onto each side, you know, and I'm crawling up that tunnel, and I finally get to the top of it. By this time, I I think I had actually wet my pants. It was that bad, and I said, get me out of here. Me off this cliff, just anything, you know. And so they took me off. But the problem is, what if the sun had gone down while I was on the side of that hill? It could have ended up quite quite bad. I wouldn't be here, Julie wouldn't be here, Josh and his family wouldn't be here. It was that close of a thing. So that's my idea of how to encourage folks is to tell, <laughs> tell them, don't let the sun go down. You know, don't let the sun go down. Why don't you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the roll call of the saints. And the saints that had lived before the cross, before Jesus. And if you know Hebrews at all, you know that, this is a a better sacrifice. The whole book is about the better sacrifice. And it was written in Hebrew to the Hebrews at Jerusalem. So they looked towards the perfect sacrifice. They didn't know how it would happen. They didn't know when it would happen. They only knew that there had to be a perfect sacrifice. And most of you are aware of that. So we're going, yeah, and there wasn't a cross, I'm sorry. I forgot to mention that. They didn't know there was a cross in the future at all. The sacrifices is what they knew. There had to be one perfect human being that would be sacrificed in order to bring the law to completion. So we're gonna take this quick trip through Hebrews chapter 11. Sorry, I got a little dry metal here. And I can't preach on Hebrews 11 because it's so thick. I mean, you could take off, you could spend a year on Hebrews 11. It is that incredible of a book, but I'm gonna read it for you, and you can read with me. And I'm only gonna read portions of certain verses because other than that, we'd be, be here till Wednesday night. So I'm not gonna do that. I'm sorry I'm so... You know, up and down here, I haven't done this for a while. (laughs) By faith, verse one, great verse. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that were visible. Now we know those as atoms, molecules, all the things that science tells us. They knew that there was a power that was unseen but was very powerful, and that was God. Hebrews 11:4. by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, I'm reading out of the American Standard Bible. It may read a little bit different than yours, but that's what this one is. Hebrews 11:5. we're gonna take a jump now. And this is a part of the world called, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. I like that verse. I'd like to be so close to God that he just takes you. Oh, but wait. He is coming to take us, isn't he? That's a good verse for now. So by faith, Noah in chapter, not chapter, by verse seven, was being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen and revered in reverent fear, excuse me, and reverted to fear in the construction of the ark for saving of his household. By this, he was condemned the world and became their heir of righteousness that comes by faith. I had not fought. For a long time, I had never thought that as this says, and I, I think it's, there's something contextually not quite right with it, but it's saying like Noah condemned the world. Well, God had condemned the world. Maybe it was just because Noah swung the hammer. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not be seen and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was committed as having pleased God. That's a repeat of the other verse. Uh, that's right, I just repeated it, didn't I? By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised it. That's good. By faith, Isaac, wait, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed the sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, gave directions concerning his bones. You remember that? Wrap up my bones and take them back home. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. 28, by faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Hebrews 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, Rahab the prostitute didn't perish. Hers was the only place that didn't fall down. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. Let's see. Verse 29. People crossed the Red Sea on dry land. By the walls of Jericho fell down at 32. What more shall I say? For time would fail me, to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Japheth, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obeyed promises, stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the power of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword, they were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received their dead back by resurrection. Some were tortured, some refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And 38, I read this next couple of verses and it just blows my mind. Of whom, 38, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering around in deserts and mountains and in the dens and caves of the earth. Think about that. All these folks that were commended as having faith, the world was not worthy of. How does that feel today? The world's not worthy. Of these, of these kinds of folks. And yet, we are them. Think about it. Uh, let's see, verse 39. All of these, though committed through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God provided something better for us. Apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, the better thing they looked forward was, of course, Jesus with that perfect sacrifice, was the sacrifice for everyone. Available to everyone. Chapter one, or chapter one, chapter twelve, verse one. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and I'm going to stop right there. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of wounded witnesses. Now, as you know, Hebrews is written for Hebrews, in Hebrew, and I used to think that the cloud. You would look up and you'd see a cloud, and here would be one of the Old Testament saints up there saying, You can do it, you can do it. And that was my vision. And you know, over here's Abraham and over here's Isaac and over here's Jacob, and they're all sitting on their individual clouds, and they're calling down encouragements to us. Not so, not so. What it is was that Clemente I first of Rome, Clementi the first of Rome, got to get that. Right paragraph for that uh, apostrophe in the right place. When he translated the, okay, let's paint a picture here. Paul wrote Hebrews and gave it to the Jerusalem church. Okay, then about a hundred years later, Clemente I translated it back from Hebrew into Greek and Latin. So you have this back and forth thing coming back down the train. And The interesting thing about Hebrew is that each word has what you would almost call a prepositional phrase attached to it. You see a character of a word, and then there's the root word was to say clouds. And then off of that, there are two or three little paths that you can take. And only one of them is the right one, but the other ones, they're good for wisdom and they're good for teaching, but the main one, is this one here that takes off and goes where they want it to go. And so when Clemente I chose to translate that, he he kind of made a little mistake about which path he went. Now that doesn't have to do with inerrancy and it doesn't have to do with all the topics that you could get into about that. But the path that was more better, more better, (laughs) more, exact, more correct, was like an encompassing cloud. Clementi was used to Greek and Roman society. You had coliseums, you had theaters, you had amphitheaters, and they went up like this, and they went up like this, and the crowds were like this and that and the other thing. And that's not what the, this particular cloud was about. This cloud was an all-encompassing cloud. It's like you're driving along, and you go up to a little knoll, and you drop down into a valley, and suddenly there's fog. And I know you've all driven in fog, but you can see about three feet in front of your hood. It's that thick, and it's that scary, and you go, all right, do I pull over? Or do I go real slow? Or do I wait for the semi to come by and blow me right off the tracks? That kind of encompassing, so these encouragers, these encouragers are around us 360 degrees everywhere. They encompass us, they're above us, they're beside us, they're below us, they're to the sides of us. It's literally like walking into a fog bank of encouragers. And the people we just read about, they were the ones that were mentioned in the Old Testament that people looked back on and remembered. Remember the Pentateuch the, and the other early Bible uh, books were written and everybody else was taught out of those. But there were more. See, the encompassing cloud is more characterized by God, and this is what the, the original Hebrew says, says that The cloud of witnesses, God goes about and he gathers in generations. And it's all about gathering. You gather here and God gathers and brings them into you. And then more are born, more are raised, more become Christian and God gathers them and brings them into you. It never stops, God is gathering in. All of the saints, that are alive today as well as those that were alive after the cross after the all souls who were alive before the cross, they're all being gathered in, and the number is being added to every day. And they are all there for one thing, and that's to encourage you. That's to encourage you. And this is, guys, where we get back to talking about that ladder. You see, I believe by faith, and by what God's laid on my heart, that some of you, one or two of you, maybe three, some of you feel like your back is against the wall. You've been Christian a long time, but your back is against the wall. You're like this, and you don't know what to do. You don't know if you're gonna make it through the week, let alone maybe even the day. Things have gotten that hard for you, and I want to point you to, encouragers not just not just but the encouragers of the word the encouragers that were never in the word but are there and also the encouragers that are sitting right beside you so know that right beside you is every bit of a spiritual encourager that they had to hold there was uh, an article I was reading and it was in uh, Psychology Today 2022 December they took a survey of what men feared the worst what men feared the worst there's three questions the first question was what are you most afraid of And the answer, they had three answers to choose from. One was losing their job, and any guy will tell you to lose a job is a terrifying thing because you gotta provide for that family. The second was the death of their spouse or their children. Yeah, that would definitely put you up against the wall and make it really hard for your faith, for your life, for the stress in your life, that's where it would be. That's what I thought it would be. Then, guys, the final question was, are you afraid of being alone? And the overwhelming majority of the people they sampled and answered, guys were most afraid of being alone, being alone. And I don't think it's any different in the church than anywhere else. People and guys are afraid of being alone. And I want to encourage you, you're not alone. You're not. Talk to the person next to you. If you feel like you're today up against the wall, you don't know what to do. There's nothing you can do in your brain to fix whatever is going on. Maybe you've done something at work that you know you could get in trouble for Maybe you're not getting along with your spouse well enough or well at all, and somehow you've drifted like this. You're not alone. Maybe you're having problems with your family. Family can just leave you stifled in, amazed at how strange and how alone you feel when you're trying to fix a problem in a family. I have a niece and a nephew. They battle it out regularly. One's an alcoholic and the other uses drugs. And they come to me and ask me what to do. And of course, you know what I'm going to tell them. I'm going to tell them, man, the answer is Jesus. Get away from that stuff. You know? You feel like you're stagnant? You can't fix the problem in your family? That's Jesus, he's gonna come and fix that. But you need somebody that you can talk to. Ladies, this also applies to you too. Some of you can think about the fact that your husband works all day like you do, comes home and he heads for the couch and says, honey, don't bother me for about a half hour or an hour. I need quiet, that sounds familiar? Get me in my lazy boy. We'll be good. Just give me, a, you know, and then he starts snoring and that's it till dinner. That's the way I used to be. But right now, I want you to think about those people in the congregation who you trust. You've got Adam. You've got Judy. You've got Roger, or Rob and Mary. These are people, some of these people I haven't met yet. I want to, but I've heard about them. you got Gus. God, I love you, Gus. You're incredible as a person to talk to and encourage you. It's just great. And then, you know, uh, Mark and Sue, they're very good people, Adam and vicky all these people who have years and years of experience. And if you need encouragement, don't be afraid to ask them. Ask of God. Ask your brother or your sister. But I want to assure you, ladies, if you feel like you can't take another day of this guy laying on the couch, you can. Do you need some help moving that husband away from that lazy boy? I'll pray with you because sometimes it takes prayer to get him off the couch. Don't feel like you're alone. Not only are you encompassed by generation after generation that God has brought in. Every generation, God brings these folks in. And he's constantly doing that. And there's new and there's fresh Christians to be added to that call of the saints. And you're a part of that. You're a part of that. It doesn't feel like it right now, but you are. And I also think about the fact that as we see with the way the world is going we may very well be like Enoch and just taken. wouldn't that be groovy there's a word for you so that's what I, I wanted to share with you today and if you feel like you're stuck against the wall if you're terrified of what tomorrow may bring if you're scared to death that you may be Losing a job, losing your wife, losing a child, losing a house and a garage. All of these things, they can put the pressure on you to do things you would never believe. Why? Because you haven't reached out and got encouragement. So that's my message to you this morning. And if you need encouragement, we'll be right down here out front to pray with you to talk to you, to give you a hug. Because God does not want you stuck. Don't be found stuck to the wall when Jesus comes. That'd be terrible. What Jesus needs right now is not people stuck to the wall. He needs people who are animated, who are working, who are alive, who are awake, and not that awake. He needs people who are sharing the gospel, bearing one another's burdens, and living a life that says to the world, there is a better way. There's got to be a better way, and we know that way, don't we? We know that way. So don't be stuck to the law. Let's pray. Father God, I come before you right now in a word or two to say, thank you. Thank you, God, that we don't walk this life alone. That at any time, we can choose to step away from the wall. That we have a cloud of people, both physical and spiritual, who are around us 24 seven. Help us, God, to attune our ears to them. Help us, Lord, to encourage one another to be that encourager that says, yes, you too can make it. I made it, you can make it, they can make it, you can make it, we all can make it, God. But we need to learn to have an open heart to encourage. I ask this in Jesus' name, for his sake,
0: amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Jeff, I'm glad you're a part of our family here today, good stuff. All right, as he mentioned, we'll be up here for prayer afterwards. Reach out. You know, that's what we're about. Pray for each other, support each other. A couple of quick things. Um, We mentioned uh, Sari Rock's uh, open house. Um, For the Black Duck graduates, uh, the ceremony is Friday, May 26th, 7 p.m. at the Black Duck High School. Erica Slogar is graduating this year. And also, Gabby Waller is graduating this year. The open house for Gabby Waller is uh, this coming Saturday noon to four at Three Island Park. So I'm going to have Zach give one last announcement and then we will dismiss.
3: Okay. Um, So, and actually we won't do the video, just skip that. But um, just a little plug for Youth Camp. Um, So there's been a lot of talk about family. Um, So we are um, part of a Family of churches called TrueBridge. Um, so, a youth camp, which is taking place uh, July 31st through August 2nd, we have about 15 kids signed up to go. Um, this youth camp is the North Hub of TrueBridge. Um, it includes Ten Strike, Erskine, Frazee, Country Faith, and Warroad. There's going to be about 140 individuals at youth camp. Um, and because it is a family, this is Ten Strikes camp, and we, are been assigned, we have been assigned to run the kitchen. Um, so we have to serve eight meals um, over a three day period, and I need help. I do not want to be alone in the kitchen serving 140 people. So if there's any adults um, <laughs> that would be interested in helping out in the kitchen for youth camp, please talk to me, it'd be greatly appreciated. It's super easy, I already got all the meal plans figured out, I just need hands. So hit me up if you're interested. Thank you. What's that? Delwater. Yep. At Camp Delwater. Yep. So 30 miles from here. So it starts on a Sunday, right? Sunday through Wednesday. Yeah. So any other questions? All right.
0: Thank you. You are dismissed. Have a
3: great weekend. Love you.
0: Well,
2: there's a dog Oh, you're welcome, guys.
0: Thank you.
2: I thought I was 48. <laughs> That's right. Thank uh, what, what happened to
3: my... I just...